Life Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about the things that matter most, and sometimes have some fun along the way. I'm your host and guest, Doug Grotheis, professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary. And even though we are called Truth Tribe, we're inviting everyone into the tribe of truth. So we are not tribal or provincial or parochial at all. We are continuing our series of foundations for this podcast, and today we will be looking at a theology of culture. Theology simply means trying to find God's perspective on a particular issue, and we take the Bible as our central and infallible and inerrant source for knowledge. We try to deal with the whole Bible logically and apply what it says to various topics. So today we're talking about, you might say, God's view of culture, the best that we can understand this. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. We live in culture, whether we want to or not. The old proverb of the Chinese says, if you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. So if you want to know what American culture is, don't ask an American. But you have asked an American by tapping into this podcast. So I'm going to talk about culture and make some references to American culture. But what is culture? Let me read from one of my earlier books called Confronting the New Age came out in 1988. I have a definition of culture that I still agree with all these years later. What is culture? Essentially, culture describes our way of life, how we interact with ourselves, our environment, and God. It includes manners, morals, habits, and artifacts. Culture differs from nature in that it is humanly engineered. People use the God-given material of the creation and give it the unmistakable human touch of paintings, ceremonies, cooking, gardens, and gulags. The creation gives us chunks of gold. Humans, creatively endowed by virtue of being created in God's image, create gold rings, necklaces, tooth fillings, crosses, and Buddha figurines. Culture comes as people cultivate what God has created. Continuing on from my book, Confronting the New Age, cultures spring from the worldviews of the culture formers. Henry Van Til put it succinctly by saying, culture is religion externalized, unquote. Our social world results to a significant degree from our worldview. Francis Schaeffer observed that, quote, people are unique in that the results of their thought world flow through their fingers or from their tongues into the external world. 
That is true of Michelangelo's chisel, and it is true of a dictator's sword, unquote. Yet, it is just as true that the worldviews are influenced by a person's surrounding culture. Clearly, the biblical injunction is to base our thinking on God's transcultural truths found in Scripture and seek to apply them to our particular culture. So that is the end of the quote from one of my previous books. So we could summarize and say that culture is where humanity shapes nature according to a worldview. And I like to look at three basic themes of culture, the separation theme, the conservation theme, and the transformation theme. And this can become kind of a template that you can use in assessing films, paintings, poems, novels, cars, whatever it is. And my view of culture is very much influenced by the Reformed tradition. Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28 teaches that. And so we should seek to apply the truths that Jesus taught, which includes the entire Bible, to our society not through coercion, not through propaganda, but through godly, humble, truthful, courageous, creative witness. Again, to quote Francis Schaeffer, true spirituality covers all of reality. There are things the Bible tells us as absolutes which are sinful, which do not conform to the character of God. But aside from these things, the Lordship of Christ covers all of life and all of life equally. It is not only that true spirituality covers all of life, but it covers all parts of the spectrum of life equally. In this sense, there is nothing concerning reality that is not spiritual. That's the end of the quote from his book, A Christian Manifesto. So, although not everyone confesses Christ as Lord and the church is different from the state, for example, nevertheless, Christ is in the metaphysical position of supremacy, such that he has rightful claim on all things, and as his stewards of creation, and as his servants who have been redeemed through his work on the cross and empowered through the resurrection, we want to be faithful to the deposit of truth that's been given to us in the scriptures. So the first theme is that of separation, or you could say antithesis. The idea here is that we need to be against the world for the world, under God. We recognize that the world is fallen and in need of redemption. So there's some things that have to be denied. We have to exclude some things from our lives, and we need to recognize them as harmful and ungodly. And there's a lot of this in our society today with the rise of transgenderism, the advocacy of abortion, even after Roe v. Wade, the rise in homelessness, so many things. But let me read something from Blaise Pascal from Ponces to put this in perspective, the separation or antithesis theme. When everything is moving at once, nothing appears to be moving as on board ship. When everyone is moving towards depravity, no one seems to be moving. But if someone stops, he shows up all the others who are rushing on by acting as a fixed point, a point of reference. So if people are saying that gender is an arbitrary creation of the human mind, 
We say, no, it isn't. God created them male and female, and we are fallen, so people are confused sometimes about their true ontological identity, how they ought to live morally, and we have the scriptures as our ultimate reference point for what is true. Now, a key verse here would be, love not the world, nor the things of the world. 1 John two, fifteen, And by that, John does not mean physical objects or physical environments. What he means is sin and lust. So the danger with this approach, we have to incorporate it in a fallen world, is what you might call legalistic separationism. Instead of being in the world, but not of it, we want to simply avoid the world. So we avoid the secular, we avoid the profane, instead of trying to bring truth and goodness and wisdom into those settings without compromising ourselves. Now, we don't want to compromise with a squalor of popular culture. We don't want to be a part of the Game of Thrones culture, for example. And on this, in terms of the limits and dangers of popular culture, I refer you to a classic by Ken Myers called All God's Children in Blue Suede Shoes, Christians in Popular Culture that came out in 1989. And he points out that not all culture is equal. Uh, some culture is very superficial and functions at a low level. Uh, there's then folk culture, which functions at a higher level and is more intrinsically worthwhile. And there's high culture, which is more exclusive and people appreciate high culture only after a certain amount of training of their sensibilities and their taste and so on. But my point here is don't compromise with popular culture or folk culture or high culture, any culture that is ungodly. So obviously we totally and categorically reject things like pornography, soft, hard, any kind of pornography. We reject that. It cannot be redeemed. Moreover, we should also reject any form of gambling because it undermines the work ethic. It trusts in luck as opposed to trusting in God. And we should receive by grace salvation. And then in terms of our everyday lives, we work for our keep. So gambling is bad stewardship. There's no redemption for gambling. It has to be rejected, as does pornography. More philosophically, we have to reject the current views of truth which are relativistic or postmodern, the idea that truth is relative to and subjective to the individual. No, truth is objective. A true statement is what corresponds to reality. We'll do a whole show on this later. But when you come to scripture, we're not just sharing our religious views or talking about our spiritual feelings. We're talking about how God has revealed himself in these books, the 66 books of the Bible, and that everything they say, when properly interpreted, is true. So we, re we believe that truth is revealed in nature and scripture. It's objective, not merely subjective. It's absolute, not merely not relative. It's universal, not provincial. And it is antithetical. So if Christ is the only Lord of heaven and earth, then there are no other lords. There are no other gods. Now we believe that God is a trinity, one God in three persons, but Christ is uniquely God the Son, the mediator, and no one else can fill his shoes. 
What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The second theme is called conservation or common grace, and I'd refer to a line in uh, a hymn, He Shines in All That's Fair. I think that's from This Is My Father's World. It is. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, that the sun and rain, the sun shines and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. This is called common grace. It's different from saving grace or redemptive grace. It means that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so we can find good, we can find the good, the true, and the beautiful in the paintings by non-Christians, in music by non-Christians, and so on. So we should be discerning and scavengers for common grace. The great theologian of common grace was, again, I mentioned him earlier, Abraham Kuyper, the great Dutch theologian, statesman, philosopher. And we need to take the elements of the good, the true, and the beautiful that we find in non-Christian settings and place them back into a Christian worldview, or you might talk about plundering the Egyptians for their goods, but we must not worship their idols. That's from St. Augustine. Now, the danger with the conservation theme is we might accommodate that which is worldly, and we need to be very careful about that. We don't want to bless something that God has cursed. We don't want to commend something that God has condemned. An excellent area of common grace for those in the United States is the essential American form of civil government. And I've written about this at some length in my new book called Fire in the Streets. But just consider some of the elements of American civil government and the founding vision. We have a separation of powers. So the idea here is that you should not concentrate power in any one branch or any one person. We don't have a king. We don't have a queen because of sin. People are capable of great good because they're made in the divine image and they can be filled with the spirit and do God's will, but we're also capable of great evil because we are fallen and depraved. Another great good of the American system is a representational and constitutional form of government, a republic of ordered liberty under law. 
Think of the metaphysics of rights given in the Declaration of Independence, uh, that God has given us certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness there doesn't mean the titillation of your emotions. It means really virtue or life lived well among others. Or with common grace, also consider the five radiant freedoms of the First Amendment. I'll read it. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Well, let's come to the third theme. And of course, we could fill out each of these themes in great detail, but I leave that to you. I'm trying to give you the essential categories I see in Scripture that we can apply to our Christian discipleship under the Lordship of Christ. The third is transformation, wanting to change the world for God's glory and the good of humanity. And I think here of the hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns, or the crown rights of King Jesus, as the Puritans used to say. We want to take all thought captive to obey Christ. We want to disciple the nations according to the truth of Jesus and all of Scripture. We want people to submit to God. So we want to permeate society and claim as much as possible for Christ, his church, and his kingdom. Now, I hold to the essential vision of the American founders. I am not arguing for anything like a theocracy or ecclesiocracy, but rather that we use our influence and we use the structure of government to, in a humble and godly and wise and intelligent way, influence politics, art, education, engineering, philosophy, everything, according to a Christian worldview. The danger of this approach is what you can call triumphalism or zeal without knowledge. Well, we're going to take over and watch us take over. And there's a kind of uh, truculence or a kind of aggressiveness, which is not godly. We should try to convince people with gentleness and respect. We should be salt and light, as Jesus said. We should be good leaven that goes out into society and strengthens the things that remain, and tries to transform the world for the better. So we want to see progress, real progress, according to an objective standard, not just a slogan, progress or progressivism. We want to see progress in racial relationships in the United States. We want to see progress in educational achievement in the United States. So we can talk about all these things in more detail later in the podcast. But I think what we need is something like a humble prophet in transforming society. A humble prophet is not dogmatic, but neither is he or she a relativist. Rather, a humble prophet is someone who knows the truth, who defends the truth, and articulates this with an intelligent and pertinent voice in the public square. So a humble prophet knows and exegetes the culture. You think of the tribe of Issachar that understood the times and knew what Israel should do. First Chronicles twelve thirty two. So I have tried to do that through the years. I've helped, tried to help the church understand the times so they know what they should do. One of my great heroes in this is Os Guinness. 
Secondly, a humble prophet knows and exegetes and applies the truths of Scripture, which is a living and active word of God. It is profitable for all aspects of life, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. So we want to bring the word to the world with clarity and integrity and humility. A humble prophet also knows and exegetes himself or herself before the audit of eternity. So we have to look at the log that is in our own eye before we find the speck in our neighbor's eye, as Jesus said in Matthew 7. If we're going to rebuke and condemn the licentiousness, the promiscuity, the recklessness of our culture, then we need to look into the mirror of Scripture and ask of ourselves, where do we need to reform? Where do we need to be transformed through the living and active Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth? So we need to be honest and open with ourselves in the community of the church and among our spiritual friends. I'd say a humble prophet also has fire in his or her bones, love in his or her heart, and keeps a cool head. So we need zeal according to knowledge, animated by the love of God, in the spirit of self-control. So this very briefly, in only about 20, 21 minutes, has been my theology of culture. In the show notes, you'll find some recommendations of books related to this. We not only want to critique culture and expose what is evil, we want to create good culture. And to that end, I really like Andy Crouch's book, Culture Making. I've got a variety of other recommendations. But I'm hoping that this program has been helpful for you to think through the relationship of our triune God to the world, to culture, how we can have a godly influence by separating from what is evil, by conserving what is good, what is good by common grace, and then transforming every area that we can to the glory of God, that the crown rights of Jesus Christ would be recognized. So thank you for joining me on Truth Tribe. Remember, I am a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary, and I have a master's degree in apologetics. So if you're interested in that program, please go to denverseminary.com, and we will talk to you next time. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.